Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you have written this book uh, through the pen of human beings. And Lord, we, we just want to surrender to what your, your word says. And so help us, Lord, as we've been learning that we have to bring our minds and our hearts into alignment with what you have revealed, because there we find ultimate truth in a world of confusion and chaos. Your word reveals to us who you are, who we are, and what our mission is. So we pray now that as we open your word, Father, I ask for your help that you would enable me to say very clearly what you want said today. And that, Holy Spirit, you would uh, move in each of the hearts of us to receive what seeds you want to plant and that you would give the growth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning to you all. Good morning. And good morning to you who are watching on Facebook. Glad you are joining us this morning. Second Sunday of Pentecost. My iPad tells me my weekly report is available and my screen time was down 55% last week for an average of 37 minutes a day. That's interesting. I just saw that. And you know why? It's because I decided to get off Facebook for three days and I highly recommend it for one's mental health. (laughs) It is quite crazy uh, right now. But in the midst of craziness, we serve a God of stability and order and power and love. Amen. And that's where we want to keep our eyes and fixed in these days that are difficult and challenging and which may become increasingly difficult and challenging as time moves on. Now, we think of uh, mission and evangelism uh, often as uh, conversations where uh, it, you explain that Jesus died for, for some, the person's sins and then you invite them to say a prayer and to receive him as Lord and Savior. Now, I'm all about that. I'm all about uh, leading people in sort of a sinner's prayer and there's moments of conversion that are, are glorious. But I want to look at the way that Jesus models outreach and evangelism because he's the best one to follow on this, right? You think Jesus had something? Like Jesus is worth looking at and just figure out how do we do this? We want to look at our Lord uh, first and foremost. And Jesus actually never went around. Uh, he never shared the gospel of the kingdom by saying, hey, if you died today, do you know where you'd go? Do you prefer smoking or non? Right? So Jesus actually didn't do the gospel that way. And I'm not trying to belittle anybody's means of, uh, of evangelism, but I want to look at what Jesus did. So Jesus, what he did was he demonstrated that the kingdom of heaven, God's reign and rule over his creation, had arrived. That the kingdom of heaven had already arrived, and then he then invited people to become participants in that kingdom by giving their allegiance to him as their king. Right? You want to be a part of a kingdom, you got to give your allegiance to the king. And so Jesus went around proclaiming, it was the center of his message, the kingdom of God. And then he invited people to repent, to turn around from their current way of thinking and behaving and turn towards him and give them, uh, give him their allegiance, right? So the gospel is a gospel of a kingdom. And it's a very, uh, literally countercultural in our day to, uh, proclaim a message of a king and a kingdom. See, everything that's going on in the world right now with, uh, with, and I'm not saying it's, there's no place for peaceful protesting and all that. I believe in that. But with riots and violence and looting and all of this stuff, that's a spirit of chaos from the enemy. And it's, it comes from a, a, a place of, uh, of a sort of anti-authority, right? Let's, let's get rid of authorities in society and put it into the hands of, uh, the people and everything will get better. Oh, let's see how that goes. Really? So I'm not trying to get too political, but the thing is, is that there is an anti-authority spirit in the world today, and that's sad because the only way you're going to find life and peace is to submit to a good king. 
And, and there's, there's not a lot of great uh, kings around in the world today or leaders today who feel completely trustworthy and good, but we know one. And he's not only the king of this earth, he's the king of the heavens too. Amen? So let's, let's keep our eyes on him in this time of craziness and chaos. So we're going to look at Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew today, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, if you have a Bible. We're starting in Matthew 9. Uh, chapter 35. And what we see in this passage, it's so beautiful because what we see is the heart of God. We see the heart of God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So when you see what Jesus is doing, you are seeing the Father in action. Okay, so we see the Father's heart and what it is and what it looks like demonstrated tangibly. So if we don't take the heart of God and the love of God for the lost when we go to minister to them, we're not going to be very effective and we're not going to be doing it in the way that God wants it done because God wants our evangelism not to be something we just do because we feel we have a duty or an obligation, although that is true, but because we want to because we want to share the love of God with people and we do it out of love for people because we actually love them and care about the eternal state of their souls and their well-being in this life as well, as we'll see demonstrated. Second Peter chapter 3 says that God does not wish that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God loves the world. We read in Romans chapter 5 this morning, God demonstrates his love, he proves his love for us, in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. That is, while you were still in adultery, while you were still in greed, while you were still full of pride, while you were still uh, full of everything rotten, the Lord died for you not after you got yourself cleaned up. So God has a heart for the lost. He has a heart for the people who are peacefully protesting in the world today. He has a heart for uh, racial minorities who are hurting right now. He has even has a heart for the people who are stirring up chaos and violence in the world and wants to see them repent and come to him. The gospel is for everyone. So Jesus, in chapter uh, verse 35 of chapter 9, we read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. So this is a great model for how to do kingdom evangelism and mission, right? So there's three things. He's teaching, he's proclaiming, and he's healing. So in most churches today, almost probably universally, just about every Christian church in the world, you see teaching, okay? Everybody teaches. Some of them are not teaching stuff that's very good, but there is teaching, And in some churches, probably a decent number, there is a proclaiming of the gospel, of the kingdom, that God is king and he's making himself known in Jesus and he's died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. But what you don't see in a majority of churches today is the other thing, and that is healing, the ministry of healing. But Jesus never separated the gospel of the kingdom and salvation from healing. See, the word salvation in the Greek, sozo is the word that we get that from, and it means wholeness. Right? It means that the gospel is for the wholeness of the person, not just fire insurance so that they don't go to hell and they go to heaven when they die. It's about wholeness and ministering wholeness to people. Right? So that is what the kingdom is all about. And Jesus ministers teaching, but he also ministers healing. They're always together. Now, why is it that we don't see healing in every single church's ministry? 
Why is that? And I want to start, before we move on in the passage, by just giving you three reasons, I think, and some of this will be a reminder for some of you because we did a series on healing last year, but this is important to remember. One reason that we don't see the healing ministry powerfully and effectively practiced in most churches today, number one, if you're a note taker, is this, the risk. The risk is too high. We worry about disappointing people. We worry about creating false hope. We, we worry about, quite frankly, looking stupid, right? So there's a little bit of an ego thing there. But the reality is, and we can all admit this, not everyone gets healed the instant we pray for them, right? Has anybody have a 100% track record, track record yet? Praying for the sick, every single one got healed? That was Jesus. It's something to aspire to, but we don't see that. So perhaps what happens is we try a few times, we pray for a few sick people, we don't see any breakthroughs, we get frustrated and we give up. Right? And we come up with any kind of thing. We tell ourselves, I just don't have that gift. Maybe other people do. Or, or whatever. We give up. We worry that people will start talking about us. Those holy rollers. Those weird healing people. You know, all of this. We worry about what people say. The fear of man gets in there. And so we just think, that's kind of, that's, that's too tough. I can do the teaching thing. I can even talk about my, my faith to someone. But the healing thing, that's too risky. Right? And so we back away from it. But if you, you see, there's also this fear about, um, because people have seen an abuse of a healing ministry and healing evangelists and things who exaggerate, right? Oh, God is healing people right now in this place. And then come to find out he really wasn't sometimes, right? Now, I'm not saying everybody who makes a proclamation like that is lying. Sometimes that is the case. Catherine Coleman in the 1960s is an example of it. But people see abuse and they think, I don't want to be that and nor do I want to be categorized as that. And friends, we have to move away from that because there's a healthy way to think about and practice the ministry of healing. That's straight from the scriptures. But you see, if you ask any church leader who sees healings regularly in their church, the more they will tell you this, the more you risk, the more you press into it, the more healings you will see. John Wimber was a very well-known uh, minister of healing, in the, especially in the 70s and 80s, and um, didn't believe in it for most of his Christian life, didn't believe in the spiritual gifts operating today. God got a hold of him, shook him up by the Holy Spirit, gave him a gift for healing. They prayed for healings in his church. He believed he was supposed to do that for nine months, and nobody got healed, and he was angry with God. He said, you just want to make me look like a fool, don't you? But they pressed in. And they started to see healings after about nine months. There was the first testimony. Then there was two more. Then there was another one. Cancer, broken bones. All of these things start showing up in their church. But they continue to press in despite the discouragement. Let me just read you a quick story from a woman named Heidi Baker who is uh, a missionary in Mozambique. And uh, she's great. Look her up. I'm not going to go into her uh, biography, although it's an interesting story. But she said this, For many years, I longed to witness healing miracles for the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, and the cripples to walk. I was living in the slums and working with the poorest people I could find, so I saw these kinds of afflictions often. My heart was continually broken for them. Eventually, I received a promise from the Lord that the blind would see in my nation, Mozambique, would be transformed. For a year after this, I prayed for every single blind person I found. For a year, she prayed for every single blind person she ran into. She said this, not one of them saw. But I did not give up. I knew I had been overshadowed for this purpose. I had faith. So did my husband and my children. I kept looking for more and more blind people. I would ask for them to come forward at every meeting. If I saw one by the road, I would leap out of my truck and lay my hands on them. Almost everyone I prayed for got saved, but for the longest time, no one gained vision. And then one day it began to happen. 
I was in a dark little mud hut church in central Mozambique laying my hands on an old blind lady. Her eyes were clouded, the irises and pupils totally white. Suddenly, as I was praying for her, she fell down on the dirt floor. I watched her eyes go from white to gray and then to dark, shiny brown. After all the years of hoping, crying, and trying, I witnessed what I had waited for. The woman could see. Delighted beyond words, I asked her, what's your name? She said, Mama Ida. That means Heidi. She said, my name is Mama Ida too, I exclaimed. And she says this, there were about 40 people in church. Soon everybody started yelling and screaming, Mama Ida can see, Mama Ida can see. You see, you have to have a resolve. You have to have a resolve and be willing to take the risk. Okay, number two. Ready? You all with me? Good. Number two, the reason we don't see healing practiced uh, in many churches today is because of unbiblical theologies of healing. Unbiblical theologies of healing. That would be primarily God prefers that some people stay sick or that God does not generally really want to heal people. It's a very rare exception when he does. But the Bible nowhere, nowhere teaches that. And when someone says that to me, I say, show me, show me that in here. Show me that in here where it says God actually prefers that some people stay sick. Now, I'm not saying there are, aren't exceptions where God has some grander purpose in the eternal scheme of things that he could bring about some good from that. But if you look in the Bible, the general rule is, is that you can see God's heart is to heal the sick. So it's an un, unbiblical theology. Everywhere you read in the Bible about Jesus healing, it says he healed every disease and sickness. Or it uses very intentional words. He healed all who came to him. Okay? He didn't so, to some say, nope, this is your cross to bear. God's going to do a great work in your soul if you keep this healing. He just healed everybody who came to him. It flowed out of him. It was the Father's heart. See, um, some people say that... Now, now this, there's some... There's some contradiction in people who have a theology, and I'm not trying to lambast other Christians or, or berate them or anything, but they'll say, we believe it's not God's will for everyone to be healed and to get well. But now just think about the logic of this. If you then, if that's the case, then if you go to the doctor to get medicine to try to get better or you go have surgery, then that would be a, that would be a contradiction to the will of God. If God wants you to be sick and not get well, to do that would be a contradiction. Now, now hear me. Let me be very clear. I don't think you should not have medicine and surgery and all that. I think that's a good thing and that is a gift from the Lord. But I'm just pointing out the logic to say that God doesn't want to heal me. It's in his perfect purposes to keep me sick is, is to, is to, it, it doesn't, it's not logical because then we go to the doctor to try to get better, right? And we're, we, we, we know we're not trying to defy the will of God. Then you say, well, maybe God wants me to be sort of like, okay, and have a little bit of relief from my symptoms, but he wants me to be mostly sick. But you just get, gets ugly there, right? I think the Bible, if you could pull a theology out of healing, it's pretty clear God's, the general rule of thumb is God wants to heal. He really does, right? And there are, there's mystery around it and all that. I'm not saying that. Now, another part of this um, unbiblical theology of healing is that uh, some churches would claim that healing was only really in the first century. It was only a gift that the apostles had to kind of get things going in the church. It was like the, the charge that lit the fire and uh, the explosion of the ch- church's growth. But after that, God kind of cut it off. But friends, the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. God, God doesn't change. There's an interesting story about um, St. Augustine. Has everybody heard of St. Augustine? Fourth century bishop, uh, the bishop, he's an African bishop in, uh, the fourth century. And St. Augustine, he, he believed that God could heal and on a very rare occasions did, but for the most part, he was kind of like the people who believed that was really only in the first century. And, uh, there's an, there's a great story. He wrote a, a, a big book called The City of God, which is the most well-known work. And he tells the story, but, um, he, uh, 
had a friend named Innocent. It was like a popular name back then. He had a friend named Innocent who had a, a rough condition, anal fistulas. Okay, and this is just kind of... But it's what he had. And he had, back then, surgery often for that, could you could bleed to death. And so he, uh, Innocent had had no, numerous surgeries on these fistulas, and they weren't entirely successful. And he was in a lot of pain. And one night, Augustine went to visit him to pray with him, and he said he was crying out to God to heal him so dramatically with tears and groaning. Augustine said, I couldn't even like hear myself think to pray for him. It was just like really sad and moving. And uh, the next day uh, was the day for the, the surgery. And they went and they took the bandages off of him and it was all gone. It was completely healed. And so Augustine started to think differently about healing. And what he did was over the course of two years, he started surveying. He was a bishop, so he had a lot of churches under him. He started to survey his diocese about healings. And over the course of two years, there were over 70 documented miraculous healings. And Augustine had a change of mind about that. See, healing has, and that was in the fourth century. So to say it was cut off in the first century is just simply not true. It's not historically verifiable. It has continued. There have been years in Christendom throughout history where you didn't see a whole lot of it. But the healing ministry remains today because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, number three, my last point, and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish the passage. Um, and this is, a, this is a more challenging one, and I think it's one of the greatest reasons that we don't see more healing in the churches today is because Christians are in large part not moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not really moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, yeah, you have the conviction about I shouldn't do bad things and I think the Lord told me not to do that or to ask forgiveness for someone. That's good. But I mean like moving clothed with power, Acts chapter 1 and 2, really moving in that power. And I think maybe, maybe the reason why is that the church at large in the Western world has just become like too comfortable with programs, uh, latte bars and stuff that we were talking about. They've just become comfortable and they, well, this is, this works. It's, the church is growing and we got nice programs and good music and we become comfortable with things. And the other thing, and friends, this is a really big one and it's one that challenges me and that I have to press into myself is that we don't, we don't consecrate ourselves to holy living and prayer like Jesus did. Right? Jesus saw healing just flowed from him almost effortlessly. And by the way, he was healing as a human being who was filled with the Holy Spirit. He wasn't going around going, look, I'm God, I can do healing miracles. He was a human being, 100% human, filled with the Holy Spirit and showing us what was possible if our hearts were in perfect alignment with God's. But Jesus consecrated himself. He made room in his life always. He would pray through the night sometimes. And uh, he would rise early, it says, before the sun got up and go to the mountain and pray. So Jesus, and he lived a holy life. He didn't gaze at women with lust. He didn't have greed in his heart for money. He lived a perfectly holy life. And so there was room for the Father to do everything he wanted to through Jesus. And so consecration is really something we're all called to, but not all of us are walking as deeply in consecration as, as, as we should, right? So we are consecrated quite effectively to our TV screens, uh, but not to the Lord's presence in the, in the secret place. And that's a very important thing to grow in any kind of, to move in any kind of spiritual power effectively. Now, I want to be, I want to be encouraging. It's not a, I'm not giving you a spanking. It's just, um, God wants to work through us. He, He loves us. He's not, I don't think He's angry because you're not walking in a, in, in, in practicing healing all the time. But I think He wants to encourage us to do that. But we have to really 
learn to consecrate ourselves to him and, and, and seek his face or to, for any, to walk in any kind of spiritual power. We have to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. So let, let's be encouraged about that, right? The Lord is inviting us forward. He's not kicking us and hammering us and beating us up and saying, you're not doing good enough. He's inviting us into a deeper place with relationship with him so that his power can more effectively flow through us to, to the world that really needs to see his power right now. So verse 36, moving into the passage a little, a little bit more. I need to keep, I remember, I need to keep an eye on my uh, watch here. I'm doing my best these days. Uh, verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Everybody say compassion. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Those words harassed and helpless, uh, they mean... Uh, something along the lines of uh, they indicate oppression or exhaustion or a lack of direction. How much of that do we see in the world today, right? There's crowds everywhere protesting, rioting, lack of direction, like sheep without a shepherd. Some, some people, it's just like they don't know what to do, so they just get angry and shake their fists and, and break things. And, 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 and Jesus, when he sees that, his response is compassion compassion for the lost and broken sheep of the world now the word compassion the word compassion is an interesting word it literally means in greek it's a word that means to be moved in your bowels we don't use that word very often anymore do we but it means to be moved in your gut and and, and the belief was in the ancient world that was the place where you felt love and pity was in, in the de- deepest place of your guts. And so uh, they used, com- for the word compassion, they used splanchnitsumai, it's a fun Greek word to say, to describe that it's, it is something that flows from the deepest place of Jesus. Compassion for people. One of the most key characteristics of the uh, character traits of Jesus was his compassion for people. Uh, one biblical commentator I enjoy says it like this. He says, um, he says, no English word can really do justice to this word that gets used for compassion. It means something like his heart went out. But he says this, he says, it is the verb that describes the Jesus of the gospel stories in a nutshell. I love that. Compassion, that's the Jesus of the gospel stories in a nutshell. My wife rescued a little kitty the other day. She called me, oh, it's so cute. What do I do? It's in the road. And she brought it to the church and Gordon and Terry have a new cat now in their house. But, you know, there's a compassion. There's compassion. But imagine how much more compassion that the God of heaven and earth who created us, he, a God of infinite love, feels for people who are like lost sheep, whether they're suffering from uh, confusion or sickness or oppression or whatever it is. God has an infinite amount of compassion and love towards people. Now, people did not come to Jesus... Um, trying to muster up faith for healing, like, oh, I believe, I, and, and then become convinced of God's love after they were healed. They, they saw the love in the compassion of Jesus and how it flowed from him, and they were convinced that his healing power could be theirs too. That's why there were always crowds flooding him, flocking to him, because so many people saw how it just flowed from him. Willfully, he just, it flowed from him. And they were convinced of his love and they believed that healing could be theirs too. Francis McNutt, who was a very uh, powerhouse in the healing ministry, passed away last year, I believe. He said this, healing is not so much a test of faith as it is the natural response to God's generous love. Healing is not so much a test of faith as it is a response, a natural response to God's generous love. 
That's, that's, that's powerful. See, to be an effective minister of the gospel, you have to have two things. And I think the sermon title today is Power and Love. That's the, thing, that's the sermon title today. I just, just decided that. But you have to have two things. You have to have power and you have to have love. Right? The greatest of these is love, St. Paul says. If, if things aren't knit together with love, and Paul says we have nothing. Even if you have prophetic powers and speak in the tongues of angels and you have all this gifting and faith for miracles, he says if you don't have love, you have nothing. So you have to have love, right? That com- His heart went out. The Jesus kind of love that feels for people who are sick and broken. But you also have to have power. And the power comes from being clothed from on high with the Holy Spirit's power. You have to have both of those things because if you just have love, you could do some good and serve people and be generous to people and things like that. But if you don't have power, you won't be an effective minister of the gospel if you don't have God's power. And so you have to have both of those things. But if you have power, but you don't have very much love, will you see some miracles? Maybe. But you won't be carrying the heart of God for people. And you have to have both of those. The gospel of Jesus brings both of those things together. We have to have power and we have to have love. Both are necessary. Now, um, let, let's see here. I'm going to, for the sake of time, move, move down a little bit. One, one of the things I always point everyone to is that all everything, every Christian ministry, every belief about the Lord and what we have in our inheritance in Christ always comes from the cross. Everything flows from the cross of Jesus, and it's no different for healing. Um, we see the compassion of God most on display on the cross of Jesus. That, that he would give his own son over uh, to the hideous torment of a Roman cross and the, and the torture that happens before you get put up there and the shame that happens hanging naked up there in front of multitudes of people. He would rather do that to make a perfect sacrifice for sin um, than to let us perish in our sins and be eternally separated from him. See, that's the heart of the Father. It, his heart went out with compassion to people who were in rebellion against him. Just like, again, what Romans said, God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still entirely separated from him, Christ died for us. Okay, But the compassion that God has to bring healing into people's lives also flows from the cross. So there's a well-known passage in uh, Isaiah 53. And it says this, and it's a prophetic looking forward to this mysterious suffering servant figure. And Isaiah said this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed so healing all healing power flows effectively from the cross what jesus did there he paid the price to apply his healing blood to even our physical bodies so verse 37 now jesus connects it to mission this is so beautiful he says to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful. Say that with me. The harvest is plentiful. That means there are more people out there who will receive and respond to the gospel than there are Christians out there giving them the invitation and declaring the kingdom. 
The harvest is plentiful. It's not the problem with the harvest. God's, there's some stirring in people's hearts out there. The, the lack is in the workers to go out and to reap the harvest. So Jesus tells his disciples, ask the Lord of the harvest. And that's important. Whose harvest is it? The Lord's. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We dare not run out to do this stuff without prayer. Pray that the Lord will send out workers into the harvest field. You know, I think why Jesus said this, because he knew that people who had deep prayer lives, who prayed over this, would also be people who felt compelled to go. You can't be around Jesus' presence for very long before you feel compelled to share him with others. Quick story before I close. It doesn't have to be uh, complicated. I was, at, uh, I was in downtown Winter Garden with my kids on Saturday. I took them out to the, uh, or Friday, and I took them out to the splash pad. And we had lunch afterwards at this little restaurant, and we were sitting at this nice little table up by the window, and it was quaint and cute, and we had a waitress. And um, I just felt the Holy Spirit just saying, I, I was looking around for people. I thought, I wonder if there's anybody in here I could pray for to, to get healed. And one girl walked by with a thing on her leg, but she went back in the kitchen and was like obviously working or something. She didn't come back out. So, But the Lord said, you, every encounter doesn't have to be praying for healing. What's important, what's most important is that people hear the gospel. And so I said, I'm, I felt like the Lord said, you could just share the gospel with a woman who's waiting on you. You got your kids with you. You're not going to be really walk around the restaurant. So we, she waited on us and she was very sweet and very nice. And I just simply said to her when she was bringing the check, I said, can I just tell you something in just like one minute of your time? I know you're busy. I said, as you probably have seen, this world is get, beginning to be quite a dark place right now. And I said, I think it's probably going to get worse. There's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of darkness in the world. And she said, oh yeah, I definitely see that. And I said, uh, her name, I'll just call her um, uh, Jennifer. I said, Jennifer, um, it is so important that you know. I said, I don't know what your experience of God is or church or what your beliefs are. I said, but it's important that you know that Jesus Christ is real and that he loves you and that he died for your sins on the cross and he died for my sins so that we could be reconciled to God. And I said, I believe that God wants you to know that because the days are getting increasingly evil and people are going to be looking for the light. And I want you to know that the light is in Jesus. And that's all I said. It was just simple. And she, there was a moment where she stopped clearing the table and there was a moment of sobriety and she just looked at me in the eyes and she said, thank you, thank you. And she said, I, I believe that's true. You know, and I just left it at, at that. And that, that sometimes that's it, right? I didn't say, would you like to, um, would you like to say a prayer right now? I just, I, maybe I should have. But you, you plant a seed and now who knows what will happen in her life. Maybe she'll get into a dark place and she'll start to see that what I said was true and she'll know who to call on. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. So you want to give people, um, you want them to see that you have a heart of love for them, but you also want to give them the correct information that comes from here that you want to call on Jesus Christ. And the gospel is, is that, um, is not that Jesus wants you to be a nicer person. That's true. But the gospel is he died for your sins so you can be forgiven and reconciled to God and spend all of eternity in his glorious presence. Right? And you just leave it at that. Right? So it's simple to share the gospel with people. But we do need two things. One is love and one is power. One is love. 
One is power. We need both of those things, and we need to be crying out to God. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Things are just very unstable right now. The political and economic situation is unstable. Uh, the sickness thing with the virus, everything is unstable throughout the world right now. And you read some of the things that Jesus says about before my return, these sorts of things are going to start happening. Lawlessness will abound. The, many, the love of many will grow cold. And you start to see what's going on in the world and you think, man, maybe we'll see it. Maybe we'll see Jesus come back, right? I was reminded by a sermon last night that I heard from someone who said the church has really lost the memory of the reality that Jesus is going to return. He's going to return in this time in all of his blazing glory to judge the living and the dead and to establish his kingdom in the new creation. And we, we forget that. We think, oh yes, wonderful Jesus will one day return and take us to be home. But we don't really believe or think about that. And I don't know. The Lord says we don't know the day or the hour, but I think the time, the signs of the times are indicating that something is moving in the heavenly realms. And I think right now, if the church doesn't rise up in power and love to proclaim the gospel, we're going to miss the opportunity to be a part of the greatest harvest on the face of the earth. The Lord is raising up a church right now. I think coronavirus was, hey, get in the prayer closet. You're locked away. You're sheltering in place. I hope some of you did that or are doing that. Get with the Lord like you never have before. Get intimate with him like you never got intimate with him before. He wants that so bad so that you will be clothed with power and love because it's going to be a season where the church needs to pour out into the streets to share the gospel with people who are confused, sick, broken, uh, and, and really being influenced by the powers of darkness. i share this last thing with you. Um, a friend of mine who uh, I used to party with, and a friend, he lives in Michigan, and I used to uh, do drugs and things with him, and uh, he, I came to the Lord, and so we didn't really hang out anymore, but I'm actually doing uh, premarital counseling with him right now and his, his wonderful bride-to-be, and he's given his life back to Jesus. And uh, he got deep into some stuff, and the Lord has rescued him. And he told me, he sent me a text the other day. We were talking about just the things that are going on in the world, and it just feels like crazy. There's just this, this it's so anti-God, um, the spirit in the world. And um, he said this, he said, seeing, uh, this is what he texted me, seeing the majority of the world not only accept, but encourage a clearly anti-Christ agenda was a big part of me returning to Christ. See, unbelievers see it. Something dark is going on, and there's light. And see, he knew, my friend knew where to run, and he's back in the arms of Jesus, thank God. And there will be others, because as the darkness increases, the prophet Isaiah tells us, over you, the Lord will arise, and your light will be a light to the nations. And in the midst of all the darkness, people from every nation will begin to run to the light, okay, before the return of the Lord. So let's be a people who uh, are a people of power and love and let's let the healing ministry be something that we run after in this church so that people will actually come here with expectation uh, for healing. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray about this and then we'll worship. Lord, we want to uh, be a people who have your compassion uh, for those who are sick and broken and uh, unsaved, Lord, who don't know you, who don't have any hope but uh, other than this life. 
And Lord, we, we need to be a people who uh, are so in love with you, Jesus, that walk so intimately with you in our personal lives that we feel compelled to share this glorious good news of salvation with others. Lord, you said to your disciples, uh, right after this passage, it says that you commissioned your disciples and you said, go and I give you authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every sickness and disease. So you've given us that authority, Lord. And we pray that now that you would teach us how to seek your face so that we would walk in it and that we wouldn't get discouraged uh, just because every time we have an encounter with someone, it doesn't go how we expect it to. And that we would still be surrendered and we would say, I know that God wants to use me to reach others and to display both his love and his power and that we'd be faithful, God, to pursuing that as a people so that the light would shine in and through us, Lord. And now as we come before you, we thank you that um, we are recipients of your grace, Lord. And as we move into this time of worship, Lord, I just I ask that you would remind each of us of your lavish, outpoured love upon each of our lives, that what we have in you is something that we did not earn, but that you gave us as a gift. And that your desire for us now is to worship you in spirit and in truth, to have intimacy with you in this time of worship. Father, we thank you for your love in Jesus' name. Amen.